Welcome to the Dr. Gabrielle Lyon Show, where I believe a healthy world is based on transparent conversations. Hi, and welcome to the Dr. Gabrielle Lyon Show. This is a very special episode. This episode is a solo cast for me to personally introduce to you, the listener or viewer, my new book, Forever Strong, a new science-based strategy for aging well. I dedicated this book to my longtime mentor and best friend, Dr. Donald Lehman. I'm so excited to share it with you all. Thank you to Element for sponsoring this episode of the show. With all this talk about exercise, you can't think about exercise without thinking about sweating. You must replace those electrolytes. The way that I personally do it is through Element. This is an electrolyte formulation that is science-backed. It has 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium, and I swear this stuff is my secret weapon for traveling. If you are like me, you can get dehydrated, your legs can cramp, you might feel tired, potentially even have headaches. This is why I love Element because it really helps me feel better and I use it regularly. Right now, my listeners can get a free sample pack with any purchase that's Eight single serving packets free with any element order. Just head on over to drinklmnt.com slash Dr. Lion. That's drinklmnt slash Dr. Lion to claim yours. You can try it totally risk free. If you don't like it, you will get your money back, but I know that you will. Thank you to Paleo Valley for sponsoring this episode of the show. I'm really excited that they have decided to sponsor it because they make one of my most favorite snacks, and that is the beef stick. Paleo Valley has one of the most incredible beef sticks that I've ever tasted. It's actually fermented, so it has a different texture. It is 100% grass-fed, grass-finished, and they use beef sourced from small domestic farms in the U.S., which it is really important, you guys, to support small farms. This is what we need to do to keep them in business and especially when they make such incredible products. It has omega-3 fatty acids in it, vitamins and minerals, glutathione, conjugated linoleic acid, highly bioavailable protein. It is great for kids. It's great for travel. It's great for families. Head on over to paleovalley.com and you will get 15% off when you use the code Dr. Lion. That's 15% off when you use the code Dr. Lion. People ask me, how long did it take you to write this book? Well, it took two years and 20 years of experience to bring you the information in these pages. I'm going to tell you a little bit of the background. Well, when I was in medical school, I noticed that there seemed to be no room to talk about health and nutrition and prevention besides very generic recommendations, which had limited impact on patients' overall health outcomes. Oftentimes in medicine, we are dealing with challenges that already exist versus 
day in and day out working with patients and clients, if you are a trainer, to be able to move the needle for patients in the prime of their life. Throughout my training, there's a lot of things that really struck me. And uh, I want to share with you probably the biggest aha moment that I ever had. And I was doing my fellowship at Washington University. During the day, I would see patients in the hospital. My job was as a geriatrician. See patients in the hospital and on the weekends in the nursing home. Part of being a geriatric fellow is you have palliative care rounds as well as working in a memory and aging clinic. But essentially, you are taking care of people in the later areas of their life. Early mornings and other evenings, I was doing obesity medicine research. I fell in love with one participant, and we'll just call her Betty. She was a mom of three. She had an infectious nature about her. She had always put herself last and struggled with the same 20 pounds over a lifetime. And I imaged her brain. So part of the study was looking at body composition and brain function. I imaged her brain, and her brain looked like the beginning of an Alzheimer's brain. And it was at that moment that I realized it wasn't because she wasn't trying to become better. It wasn't that she wasn't doing what she was told. In fact, she was doing exactly what the general medical recommendations were. Eat less, move more, follow more of a food guide pyramid. And she did this over decades. And in the process, she destroyed her metabolism and she destroyed her muscle. Then on the weekend, thinking about the patients that I was seeing that were bed-bound and unable to take care of their activities of daily living, which is, again, if we've ever seen an aging individual or perhaps uh, our parents that maybe are less mobile, I had this aha moment. And this moment was the one unifying factor wasn't that we were overfat as a society. It was that we were under-muscled, and that one reason 40% of individuals are struggling with obesity and other diseases that ride alongside with metabolic challenges, it wasn't because we inherently have an obesity problem. In reality, it's because we're under-muscled and we have unhealthy skeletal muscle. And I will tell you, my friends, that in order to correct a problem, we have to ask the right question. You cannot correct a problem if the foundation and framework for thinking of that problem is wrong. And that is where muscle-centric medicine was born. It was born out of a desire and a need to move the needle for you, for you, the listener, to be able to take charge of your own health and wellness. In my book, I give you exactly what you need to do, exactly how you need to think about things and what you need to execute. The ramifications of that focus for the aging population, because again, this concept of obesity pained me to the point that everything that I'm bringing you in this book 
everything that I talk about is in an effort to change the trajectory of your life and to allow us all as a society to not be left floundering by flawed nutrition and exercise recommendations. You know, even in my own life, when I was younger, I was obsessed with food. Body weight, I felt hungry all the time. I couldn't seem to curb my appetite. I cycled through an array of fad diets, and I'm sure many of you can relate to this. Everything from macro macrobiotic to being all organic, even sprouted. I was obsessed with sprouting for a while. I was vegetarian, you name it. Back then, before I knew better, my meals were heavily skewed toward an unbalanced diet of carbohydrates, often considered healthy, like whole grains. I ate locally grown vegetables, beans, bean products, sea vegetables. But for me, and probably for you, I was chasing after increased energy, health, and athletic performance. But even with all my careful planning, I never got anywhere because it was rooted in misinformation or the information that I was hearing was creating a mass influx of confusion. My focus on food and exercise became, quite frankly, unhealthy, largely because I thought meeting a baseline of wellness required a diet and training program that demanded that much effort, brain power, and willpower. My intentions were good. This behavior grounded in my flawed understanding of health devastated my mind and my body. After two years of this process, I found myself exhausted, malnourished, and again, although I prioritized whole foods, I had completely missed the mark on protein. Just like so many of you, my friends, that I've encountered over the years. Through a lot of the same recommendations I outlined in this book, I personally regained control of my hunger. Proper nutrition helped my body recover from my workouts and supported new growth so I could finally see the results of the effort that I'd been putting in. For many of you, you have been on a hamster wheel of weight loss, fad diets, trying your best, ultimately to become frustrated and throw in the towel. There is no time like today, and today we're going to start. For me, muscle started forming and my whole body changed. So did my outlook and eventually my life. Instead of subtracting foods and activities from my life, I started adding them. Right now, we have this paradigm of thinking about what we have to lose, and it creates an unhealthy obsession. Collectively, together, we can shift from the idea of what we have to lose to what we stand to gain. And that means including foods and building muscle and the process of the person that we become as we go through a muscle-centric lifestyle. Muscle-centric medicine recognizes muscle as the organ of longevity, and this is the future of health. My goal with this book is to help you achieve extraordinary health at any age. And yes, 
Don't turn this podcast off because I'm going to share with you things that are not in the book. I'm going to share with you specific recommendations, studies, things that you can take after you are done listening to this episode and have a clear understanding of. Are you ready? Who is this book for? Well, I've written it for anyone and everyone, but this book is definitely for you if you have followed every diet program on the planet only to find weight loss impossible. You have all the information about nutrition, so much information that you have no idea what to do with it all. This book is for you if you've been cycling through various juice cleanses and detoxification processes in an effort to lose weight. Hey friend, are you on that subscription for the next detox juice cleanse? If you are, then you have to read. Have you been stockpiling enough supplements to open up your pharmacy? Everybody go into your cupboard. And if you open up your cupboard and you have more than 12 different supplements, this book is for you. You wake up every day and you hardly recognize the person staring back at you in the mirror, wondering what happened to my health, what happened to my body, and what happened to my desire to do something about it. This book is for you if you suffer from emotional eating or are continually backsliding instead of reaching your health goals. Do you struggle to change an unhealthy body composition and are convinced exercise doesn't make a difference for you? Sadly, you have watched your parents age and become immobile and feel helpless to protect them or provide them with a better strategy. You are fretting about the laundry list of conditions your doctor says you're at risk for, like obesity, osteoporosis, gastrointestinal problems, poor cognitive function, diabetes, cancer, and even Alzheimer's. You are so busy managing everybody and everything in your life that you couldn't possibly prioritize your own health needs. And finally, you are convincing yourself you are comfortable where you are at without realizing how much better you could feel. Whether you're looking to maximize your weight loss and performance or to simply age well, my book, Forever Strong, will show you why, when, and what to execute to make real changes in your body and your life. Within one month of adopting this program and shifting your understanding and your approach from fat-focused to muscle-centric, you will likely gain muscle, lose body fat, and have even more energy. In this book, I teach you how to build a protein-forward nutrition plan to center your training with a focus on healthy muscle tissue. And probably most importantly, and I'm sorry for the science buffs in the audience, but to establish mindset guidelines for execution and consistency. You will begin to feel better immediately. I say this a lot. A good physician, a good coach, a good trainer, a good medical professional will be able to recognize patterns of disease, 
patterns of improper movement, et cetera. But an effective healthcare provider recognizes patterns of people. I graduated medical school and have been a physician since 2006. My skill set is recognizing patterns of people. And I'm going to share with you how you can recognize that within yourself. Because when you know who you are, one can leverage medicine as a modality for you to get the best out of yourself. And that means not really knowing about where your strengths are, but absolutely understanding your weaknesses and the way in which you process information. In short, by highlighting muscle as your target for better health, you can create positive momentum focused on what you have to gain instead of what you have to lose. In this episode, I want to take time to address common pain points that I see both in clinical practice, yes, I am still a practicing physician, and those questions and pain points that have been raised by members of our Forever Strong community. All of the topics in the podcast today are things that I also address in the book. Pain point number one, menopause and body composition. And yes, guys, I will get to you when we talk about andropause. Do not turn this off if you are not someone who is going through menopause or is someone who ever will go through menopause because someone in your life inevitably will. And again, health is a team sport. So the first pain point I want to discuss is related to menopause and body composition. There is this very common belief that with menopause comes weight gain. Does that have to happen? No. Does it happen for the majority of women? It does. Let's talk about natural menopause. Natural menopause is defined as the permanent cessation of a menstrual period determined retrospectively after a woman has experienced 12 months of amenorrhea, which means no period, without any other obvious pathological or physiologic causes, okay? Now, it seems like all of a sudden you hit 12 months and now you are in menopause. Well, that's not exactly what happens. It is a process that could go on for years. It occurs at the median age of 51 years old and again, is a reflection of complete or near complete ovarian follicular depletion with resulting in low levels of estrogen and high follicle-stimulating hormone concentrations. What you might see in your lab work, so if you go and you grab your recent lab work, you may see high levels of FSH. Typically, when a woman's FSH blood level is consistently elevated to 30 or higher, and she has not had a menstrual period for a year, it is generally accepted that she has reached menopause. FSH levels rise at menopause, and there is just this wonderful study by a cohort and colleagues. They have shown that this may be an independent effect on the regulation of energy balance. Now, again, do we know exactly why changes in hormones and this very unique time of menopause and actually perimenopause that women's 
metabolism and ability to regulate energy balance change. In the upcoming years, we're going to learn more, but there are a few things that I'd like to highlight because it may put some things into perspective. FSH levels rise. This may also be one reason because there is an independent effect on energy regulation or energy homeostasis, meaning FSH may affect metabolism. With the use of estrogen therapy, which does not completely suppress FSH levels, this may be one reason why hormone replacement is not the primary treatment or considered treatment for body composition. Estrogen and progesterone therapy is not likely sufficient to prevent body fat gain. Now, again, please note, I haven't mentioned anything about lifestyle and I will address all of that because that is the biggest needle mover. But women, you are not alone and there are changes that happen within perimenopause and menopause. And one thing for sure is you can take a look at your blood levels of FSH. Again, they may be normal. It is almost like a... uh, looking for a moving target. When a single FSH level is taken, this can be misleading because your numbers could be low. And again, you may still be in perimenopause. Estrogen production does not fall at a steady rate from day to day. Instead, both estrogen and FSH levels may vary greatly during perimenopause. One elevated FSH level is not enough to confirm menopause, but more importantly, a low FSH level in a woman who is having hot flashes, you know what I'm talking about, you're just completely soaked, um, and changing periods does not eliminate the likelihood that she's still in perimenopause. One other thing to mention is that according to the North American Menopause Society, Saliva testing is not accurate. We get a ton of inquiries from other providers about best practices. The way you have to think about best practices are who are the guiding bodies. For example, the North American Menopause Society, they are really what we would consider the gold standard. They do not recommend saliva testing to be accurate. Blood levels are what we use in the clinic. And this is something that I recommend you do. If you have not gotten a full hormone panel, then you should definitely do that. Again, hormone shifts combined with decreased energy expenditure from less physical activity can cause weight gain. There's a couple really interesting things that may happen. As estrogens, and there are different forms of estrogens, but overall, as estrogens level decline, we see a decrease in spontaneous activity, which means you might be sitting more frequently. You might be fidgeting less. We don't know necessarily the mechanism of action as to why that is happening, but there are hormonal shifts. As estrogen and and progesterone production decline with menopause, the relative imbalance compared with cortisol, potentially, further exacerbates insulin resistance. During perimenopause and menopause, muscle health is first and foremost thing you have to address. The way in which we address muscle health, if you want to maintain a healthy body composition as you go through menopause and through the rest of your life, 
skeletal muscle is the pinnacle lever you must pull. The most common struggle women have during the transition is an almost immediate gain in fat around the belly and decrease in muscle mass. Again, this can affect self-confidence, emotional well-being, and overall quality of life. Countless times, I've heard women give up saying, I'm just too old now. This is how my body is going to look from now on. There's no point in trying, and this could not, my friends, be further from the truth. Okay, now I'm going to walk you through some of the protocols that are not addressed in the book, specifically dedicated to my podcast listeners. There is also a beautiful review paper, which we will link in Frontiers, and this was a systematic review article that came out in Frontiers of Endocrinology in June of 2023, and it was the effect of exercise training on body composition in postmenopausal women, a systematic review and meta-analysis. So basically, this looked at a very large amount of data. It looked at muscle mass. It looked at the participants' characteristics. It looked at fat-free mass, fat mass, body fat percentage, and weight circumference. So waist circumference is something that you can measure as a baseline assessment, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But what did they find? The conclusions of this recent current systematic review and meta-analysis, which by the way, the quality of evidence is really important. I do cover that in the book, how to understand if the article that you are reading is helpful and well done. That's, I think, important. Um, I don't expect people to go read studies, but in fact, if you do and you want to understand the quality of the evidence, it is valuable to have a framework. The current Systematic review and meta-analysis demonstrated that exercise training is effective in improving body composition in postmenopausal women represented by increased muscle mass and decreased fat mass regardless of age and intervention duration. And in this study, they looked at women, I believe it went all the way from in their 40s to well into, so I'm sorry, here it is, ready? The total participants, close to 6,000 postmenopausal women, and they looked at the, and the average age, the mean age of the participants was 51 to 89 years old with the BMI, the average BMI, which again, we don't care so much about BMI, but I'll put it out there for you because many of you do know your BMI number from 21 to 34. And what they found was that exercise had an impact regardless of age and regardless of the intervention duration. In addition, their results confirmed that aerobic exercise is beneficial to fat loss while resistance exercise is beneficial on muscle gain. Since body composition includes both lean tissue and fat mass, a combination of aerobic and resistance training is maybe, they say maybe, but again, it is beneficial to promote overall health among older women. Now, what do I recommend? 
I recommend, and actually I worked on some of these earlier studies uh, in my undergraduate. And as you know, if you are an undergraduate, your name does not go on the paper unless potentially um, you are my husband, then somehow he seems to have gotten his name on papers. But for the, the most of the most most of us in the health space or who are professionals, as an undergraduate, your name doesn't go on the paper. But I worked on some of these early studies in postmenopausal women. And what we found quite simply was looking at two groups of women, both that were calorie restricted at 1,600 calories per group. So we had one group that had 1,600 calories. The second group had 1,600 calories. And one group prioritized carbohydrates. They were essentially eating the food guide pyramid. And the other group prioritized dietary protein. Another really important aspect of this study was that the fat-free mass, when combined with exercise, was six times higher fat-free mass, which includes skeletal muscle, which includes bone, which includes organs. That is critical to understand that the exercise in this postmenopausal group was essentially minimal. It was 30 minutes of walking five days a week and 30 minutes of resistance training two days a week. The low protein group, which is defined as 0.8 grams per kg, we call it low protein, but it's the RDA, they lost 2.7 kilograms of fat-free mass. Essentially, 35% loss. Fat-free mass, this is the mass that you want to maintain. This is organs, this is muscle. The low-protein group plus exercise actually was able to retain fat-free mass. They lost 15%, okay? The high-protein group, which was 1.6 grams per kg, roughly 0.7 grams of protein per one pound, so I, got, I want to slow down, and I really want you guys to take this in. This is non-hormonal interventions. These participants were not given any hormones. Postmenopausal, they were purely given either a recommended protein diet or a optimal protein diet and basic exercise. This is critical for your understanding that age is not an inevitable process of fat gain, right? You don't go through menopause. Is it through menopause? Is it through aging? But these are clear indications early on that we can change. So high protein at 1.6 grams per kg, those individuals with high protein plus exercise, lost 6% fat-free mass. Again, when you are in a calorie deficit, you are going to lose some and potentially if there was more activity, maybe there would have been more of a muscle sparing effect. But essentially, they lost, or a different way to say it is the low protein, the RDA group, lost six times more fat-free mass, meaning the combination of muscle and other components versus the high protein group, which is double the RDA, and it's really a baseline recommendation in the book of 0.7 grams per pound body weight, they only lost 6%.
I want to mention something else that is really critical when you are going through menopause or if you are a man or a woman in a low hormonal state, there was another really hallmark study in 1999, and this was Ar Arnell et al., and they looked at protein pulse feeding and its improvement in protein retention in elderly women. They fed women close to the RDA, which, again, we mentioned uh, is 0.8 grams per kilogram. This group was given 64 grams of protein for 14 days in either a spread pattern, meaning small meals of 20 grams of protein or less, or a pulse pattern of at least one meal with 15 grams of dietary protein. And here's what it showed. It showed that the pulse pattern, meaning they hit one meal with 50 grams of protein, had a greater nitrogen balance and 24-hour protein turnover resulting in greater fat-free mass. This was one of the first studies that highlighted that adjusting the protein dosing per meal, even while macronutrients are the same, can influence the protection of tissues. Special thank you to Inside Tracker for sponsoring this episode of the show. Inside Tracker is a company that I use. It allows me to test my own blood markers. And even as a physician, it is important to know what is going on with my health and wellness. The best way to do it is to actually look at what is under the hood. Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to improve your metabolism, help reduce your stress, optimize your health for the long haul. It analyzes your blood, DNA, fitness tracking data. You can see where you still have work to do. Head on over to insidetracker.com. You will get 20% off the entire store when you use my code Dr. Lion. That's insidetracker.com slash Dr. Lion. And it's really important, you guys. I cannot stress enough that you must know your starting biomarkers because this is where you know where you need to improve. So Inside Tracker is a great way to do it and quite frankly, non-negotiable and you will get 20% off. Thank you to First Form for sponsoring this episode of the show. Today, I wanna mention creatine. Creatine is one of the most well-studied supplements on the market and it is something that you should definitely play with. It really helps with those short burst activities. This is where creatine can really help. It's been shown to help with brain function, aging over time. Creatine monohydrate also acts as a muscle cell volumizer. It has been shown to be very safe and incredible for many domains of not just performance, but also aging. Head on over to firstform.com slash Dr. Lion. Grab yours. They make a great one. It is very easy to mix. You can throw it in your water. You can throw it in your protein shake. You will get free shipping when you spend $75 or more. That is free shipping with $75 or more. Again, if you have not added in creatine, at least cycled it in once a year, I strongly recommend you try playing with this supplement. Let's round this out. Number one, 
you are someone who is having hormonal changes. When you have hormonal changes, whether you are menopause, whether you are andropause, the balance between those drivers of hormones and the influence of nutrition begin to shift. And you must focus, if you are not doing any kind of hormone replacement, you must pay deep attention to the way in which you are eating. This means that at least one of your meals needs to hit 50 grams of dietary protein, regardless of your current eating strategy. Again, if you're eating the RDA, clearly you are doing yourself a disservice because the more dietary protein up into a point, the greater your ability to maintain skeletal muscle mass and bone, which is important for both men and women. What does this begin to do for the way in which we think about nutrition, especially through menopause? Menopausal women or men that are going through low levels of testosterone and are not wanting to do hormone replacement, dietary protein will improve your body composition. A very great, easy strategy is having that first meal of the day optimized for dietary protein. And that means high quality protein, some basic recommendations. It could be two scoops of a whey protein shake. It could be a scoop and a half with a little bit of Greek yogurt and a handful of berries. If you want to have eggs, you could have eggs with turkey bacon. There are a million ways to skin this cat, but please understand that if you are not yet comfortable increasing dietary protein, the way in which you feed it is very important. We'll also mention fasting. I do not recommend large fasting windows. How you should tackle fasting is eat earlier on in the day. Your muscle is primed as you are coming out of an overnight fast. This is the time where I want you to have your first meal. And quite frankly, this is where nearly all the data that I am aware of for muscle protein synthesis comes from. That first meal of the day, you're going to hit 50 grams of dietary protein. Ideally, your last meal of the day will also between, be between 40 and 50 grams of dietary protein. If you have hormonal changes, I care less about your middle meal. Frankly, I really want you to hit that first and that last meal of optimized high-quality protein, which is typically animal source in nature. If you are vegan or vegetarian, then adding in an essential amino acid mixture will help with the retention of lean tissue. Let's talk about specific exercises and specific exercise interventions for menopause. Again, oftentimes, depending on the person, they're exercising now out of necessity. 50% of Americans are not exercising. There is no better time to start than now because what we are looking for is a physiological adaptation. There's a wonderful paper in sports that was released February 2021. We will also link that here. The idea behind exercise 
is not for exercise in and of itself. It really is for a physiological adaptation, a non-negotiable for someone who is having changes in hormones, again, whether it is menopause or andropause, which by the way is not a technically real term, is resistance training. And it is well established that an effective strategy has uh, a few things. The goal is really to enhance these muscular adaptations. These adaptations include increasing muscle strength, muscle size, local muscular endurance. Evidence indicates that optimizing these adaptations, these adaptations of muscle size, muscle strength, and endurance require manipulation of variables. This could be, again, the magnitude of load, the amount of weight lifted. These are often thought about to be key variables, time under tension, et cetera. It sounds a little complicated if you are new to exercise. It doesn't have to be. You could start simply with body weight, then progress to bands, then progress to machines or some kind of free weights. I do believe for a menopausal woman and for an aging individual, you must train for a few things. Number one, you must train to be able to fall well. This is true. I was just picking up my cleaning yesterday and I saw a man fall off the curb. Again, we must train for real life. Ways in which you train for real life, you train balance, you train movement. Eventually, as you age, I want you to be able to pick up a weight, whether it is a dumbbell or a kettlebell, and be able to move in space. I want you to be able to squat properly. I want you to be able to put things overhead, whether you are traveling uh, in an airplane, whether you are picking up a toddler. There, you know, your toddler might be 25 pounds. Your toddler might be 40 pounds. Again, all of a sudden, when it translates to a weight in the gym, there is a disconnect. People will think, well, I can't pick that up. And I would challenge you to begin practicing with the things around your home because you must be able to maintain activities of daily living. If you are going through menopause, if you are going through andropause, I encourage you to move past your traditional modalities of training to include resistance exercise. And there are some wonderful literature out of McMaster University that discusses that things do not have to be heavy. Again, heavy weights versus lower weights, they may influence molecular signaling differently, but you can start with low weights and high repetition. Oftentimes we think about a a repetition scheme. We think of strength from one to five repetitions, hypertrophy, eight to 12 reps, endurance, 15 and beyond. There is somewhat of a continuum and that becomes important to understand. There are some goals that I really want you to hit when you're thinking about body composition. Hypertrophy is important. The reason hypertrophy is important, hypertrophy training to put on muscle size because typically those are type two muscle fibers. I talk about that in the episode that is pretty deep in the weeds with Dr. Alexis Cowan, but it is the place for glucose disposal. 
and the place where you will store glycogen. Also, again, skeletal muscle is the primary site for insulin resistance. If you look at your blood work and you see elevated levels of blood glucose or elevated levels of insulin or potentially even elevated levels of triglycerides, specifically over 100, you may have some skeletal muscle insulin resistance. Hypertrophy is important, and I am just going to mention that, again, there typically is this hypertrophy continuum, but my recommendation to make it simple for you is 10 sets per week per body part. That's 10 sets per week per body part. And with respect to hypertrophy, again, there's a compelling body of literature indicating, and this is from Schoenfeld's group, that similar whole muscle growth can be achieved across a wide spectrum of loading ranges from greater than or equal to 30% one rep max. These findings are independent of age and training status. So it truly is um, a matter of principle that there is no ideal hypertrophy zone. From a practical standpoint, a case can be made that moderate load provides the most efficient means to achieve muscle development, given that light load training involves performing many more repetitions compared to the use of heavier loads, which in turn increases the amount of time spent for training. To sum that up, if you are unable to do heavy loads, you can do more repetitions 20 and beyond. The goal will be to eventually move you to a lower reps range, maybe 12 to 15, and focus on this mind-muscle connection and focus on improving your strength. Start with three days a week. And again, I put this in the book. I have exercise videos, but start with three days a week of resistance training. If you want to graduate to, to, to four days a week, do two full body days, and then an upper and a lower body day. Another important aspect in training is high-intensity high interval training. And this is training that calls for short bursts of activity followed by short periods of lower-intensity movements. This can be done in 20 minutes. This can be done through a Tabata-type circuit. I like to use an Airdyne bike where I go max effort for 20 seconds, followed by 30 seconds of rest. And I do that for three minutes. This can be done depending on how high you bring your heart rate. The goal is 80% of your max heart rate. That is different for anybody and everybody. It could be simply sitting down to standing up, but adding in one high intensity training session a week is important for insulin sensitivity. It also is important for life. When the time comes where you have to be able to move quickly, this is uh, an important training modality. The other part of training is this zone two training. And again, this can be thought of as exercise in which you can talk. You could get 30 minutes, five days a week, the recommendation at a baseline level is 150 minutes of moderate to intense aerobic training per week. It doesn't have to be that. You could do 75 minutes of vigorous aerobic physical activity. Um, again, 
This is a way for a beginner to take action immediately. If you are intermediate or advanced, I still recommend 150 minutes of vigorous aerobic activity. When you increase volume, there's a potential to increase content of your mitochondria. Mitochondria changes as we age. We must keep it healthy. So very simply, how do we determine what your training status is? If you are a beginner, up to two months. If you are intermediate and you've been training between two and 12 months, you now can move to a more intermediate. Advanced training is typically between one, two, three years. Let me give you five tips for setting realistic fitness goals. Number one, find your why. Break your big goals down into these smaller parts. You should definitely know how many push-ups you can do, how many air squats you can do, how fast you can run a mile. If you can't run, you can do it on a bike. You must create daily goal-supporting habits. You have to plan for it. It's a non-negotiable. What are the things that you are going to put into place? For example, for me, I have a babysitter that comes early on in the morning, depending on what the, the schedule is, so that I can get in an hour of training. Create challenging but achievable goals. And finally, and probably most importantly, is enjoy the struggle. Pain point number two, I am too young or too old to start. Okay, my friends, this cannot be further from the truth at either end of the age spectrum. Remember, the game of life is survival of the strongest. Both nutritional and physical literacy are key components to aging well. Knowing what to eat and how to move are imperative. It's never too early or too late to start. First, let's talk about young people. Contrary to what many assume, the inevitable physiological changes to muscle and overall body composition begins in our 30s. Body composition, muscle change, begin in our 30s based on the majority of literature. There is more literature emerging that what we do when we are young and what we, when I say young, I am talking about five years old, 10 years old, 18 years old. These have long lasting implications. The key here is when you're younger, you have more flexibility and time to improve muscle quality. So starting young is key. Starting to build muscle while you're young allows you to build your biological reserve of skeletal muscle the effects of which will stay with you for a lifetime. After all, older people's ability to maintain strength and muscle is determined not only by the rate of loss, but also by the starting point from which that loss begins. That is, the peak muscle mass reached earlier in life, which is, begin, which is believed to begin or to be reached at 30, which rides along with bone health. Now, according to the CDC, childhood obesity rates have tripled over the past three decades. Sadly, sadly affecting 20% of children ages two to 19, or about 14 and a half million people. Between 2001 and 2017, the number of people younger than 20 living with type 2 diabetes grew by 95%. And this is according to the CDC data. 
Furthermore, data from the 2021 National Survey of Children's Health showed that in a given week, 32% of children do not eat a daily fruit, 49% do not eat a daily vegetable, my kids are probably included in that, and 57% drink a sugar-sweetened beverage at least once. If you are a parent, please understand that a protein-forward diet with adequate training influence and physical activity is key for the health of our youth. The good news is their meal threshold of dietary protein is not like an adult. So for example, my two-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old, my four-year-old, they don't need 30 grams of protein. They will have an adequate muscle stimulation with five to 10 grams of dietary protein. Protein distribution is not critical for a younger individual. Is it critical for someone who is 18? I would say it is not critical, but this is the time, the next decade from 20 to 30, where you are really optimizing for skeletal muscle. Moving again, circling back to resistance training, it is for everybody at every age, despite what a lot of people think. According to the American Academy of Pediatrics, it is safe, it is effective for children and adolescents and can lead to improvements in health, fitness, injury reduction, and rehabilitation, as well as most important physical literacy, knowing how to move our bodies in space. It does not have to be traditional weightlifting, but it can be fun. It can be frog jumps, it can be bear crawls, it can be crab walks, it can be jujitsu, it can be taekwondo. My kids watch me train. They have little weights in the gym because it's fun. It's fun to pick up a weight and put it down. It's fun to watch mommy move kettlebells around the gym. They can do the same thing. Your children can be movement oriented. The bonus is that because young people exist in a hormone-driven growth phase, muscle tissue is much more responsive at an early age. Strength training performed safely at developmentally appropriate levels lay groundwork that lasts a lifetime. Resistance exercise and nutrient-rich foods prepare a young person to reach their full physical and mental potential. The person that you become when you are disciplined and do physically hard things, boost their body awareness and boost their self-confidence, making our youth more powerful and capable and comfortable within themselves. We know the effects of healthy muscle are cumulative. That is why we need to establish early strength training as a standard protocol for our children. The question is, do you have a specific amount that kids should be doing? What is my recommendation here? My recommendation here is basically in line with the American Academy of Pediatrics. Children, adolescents, and young adults should engage at a minimum 60 minutes of physical activity each day. And at toddlerhood, 30 of these 60 minutes should be structured. Intentional physical activity. After about five years old, children should engage in muscle strengthening and bone strengthening activity at least three days per week. Interestingly, it is also recommended that children should not be sedentary for more than 60 minutes at a time, aside from during sleep. 
Now let's switch gears and discuss the aging population. While muscle mass loss is common with aging, older adults can still build and maintain muscle through regular exercise and proper nutrition. If you are a listener who is not 75 or above, this is still for you. This is for your parents. Basically, age is not a predictor of or a risk factor of if you will be able to get stronger. There is data from 75 years to 90 years and above that even the very mature, let's just say very mature as opposed to elderly, can still gain muscle mass and strength. Studies out there collectively highlight that age-related muscle loss is influenced by a combination of factors, which include decreased physical activity, inadequate nutrition, and inadequate dietary protein. If you are an older adult, if you are, let's even call you 50, 60, my recommendation, as along with the recommendations in this book, is to double your dietary protein intake to 0.7 to one gram per pound ideal body weight. This is the best way to safeguard your independence and protect your skeletal muscle mass. Is exercise a more potent stimulus? Yes, but 100% of people eat. We must get the lowest hanging fruit correct. Research shows that a well-designed resistance training program of two to four days a week successfully increases maximal strength, muscle mass, muscle power, and functional capacity among individuals older than 65. Improvements won't happen as quickly as starting when you're younger, but a good program can bring you these benefits even if you begin exercising later in life. And sure, you might not start out with the same strength and agility as you wish or had or you know, had at one time, but that is a defeatist attitude and you are part of the Forever Strong community. So you're gonna get on it and you are gonna get going. And the goal is to avoid beating yourself up over the past and move forward into the future because your actions in this moment, your actions in the future and in the present determine your future. I can tell you your future if you show me your present. For a beginner, I recommend at least 150 minutes of moderate intense aerobic training per week. Yes, I said it. You still have to keep your mitochondria and your health of your heart. Or you could do 75 minutes of vigorous aerobic activity or an equivalent combination of moderate intense and vigorous aerobic activity. How are you going to determine that? You are going to read the book and you are going to look at your heart rate and you're going to identify where that is for you. Non-negotiable, if you are older, full body resistance training two days a week. Full body resistance training two days a week. Try to fit in 10 sets per body part. So that could be five, two days a week. From there, you'll become more experienced and comfortable. You can increase your resistance training. Now to accompany resistance training, we would be remiss if we did not address dietary protein recommendations. I encourage you to look at the ProAge study group position statement. That is a wonderful piece of literature. It's actually 10 years old. I remember when it first came out. I can't believe it. But it, it highlights the importance of protein as really the only macronutrient 
requiring age-based shifts in quantity and quality over time. That's so important, I'm going to tell it to you again. It's important to highlight that protein is the only macronutrient requiring age-based shifts in quantity and quality over time. Your carbohydrate intake change does, does not change. Your, your carbohydrate need does not change. Your fatty acid need does, does not change. Your protein needs change. By age 71 and up, only half of women and about 30% of men are reaching the RDA, which is the minimum to prevent deficiencies. According to one study published in the uh, Journal of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, showed that anyone who's older or under stress should consume roughly double the RDA of protein. But many people are not even at the minimum. Again, I will state this for you. I recommend all adults consume 30 to 50 grams of high quality meal of high quality protein at each primary meal. But this is particularly important for an aging individual if you are older and experiencing a lower appetite, this can help you prioritize your overall food intake. What does this look like? Simply four to five ounces of an animal-based protein like chicken or beef is a great example. If you can stomach liver, I'm incredibly impressed. There's a great free resource on my website called the Protein Chart, which gives you a list of protein options and their associated serving size that contain 30 grams of dietary protein. Now, finally, we have covered menopause, transitions, and hormones. We have also covered aging. I want to briefly discuss mindset, and I am going to make this quick but impactful. Good health starts with the most important muscle of all, which is not really a muscle. It is your mind. In order to cultivate capacity, you must move towards discomfort and things that are unfamiliar. Our mindset dictates so much of our behavior. It is a critical component that the health and fitness industry does not fold into our plans. I can give you protocols of what to eat and how to exercise. If you are not taught how to think and interface with the world and how to manage and mitigate your obstacles and the stimulus, you will not move forward. Our brain is not separate from our body. Our experiences, the way we think, our emotions, they all play into how we approach life and the behaviors we exhibit on a daily basis. We cannot and will not meet our health and wellness goals if you do not first get your mind in check. I wanna lay out the groundwork for understanding as to what I consider the drivers of behavior you can read the Mindset Reset parts of the book. I have had the privilege of taking care of the most incredible people in the world. And I will tell you, I have learned a thing or two. And what I'm sharing with you is the underbelly of actions and ways of processing that makes individuals incredibly impactful. 
and leading a meaningful life within their small community, within their homes, and most importantly, within themselves. The term growth mindset popularized by psychologist Carol Dweck reminds us of our own mental flexibility and the reality that reaching our full potential takes time and effort. Our beliefs may be powerful, she explains, but they are just something in your mind that you can change. You can change your mind. People stuck in a fixed mindset often get caught up in essentialistic notions of themselves. I'm not an athlete. I don't like health food. I am gym phobic. I've never been able to stick with a workout plan, etc. And lose sight of their capacity to change. As a result, people with a fixed mindset avoid challenges. They give up easily. They see effort as temporary and they ignore feedback or criticism. My friends, criticism is the breakfast of champions. Criticism is the breakfast of champions. That's what you should be eating with a side of protein. With a growth mindset approach, on the other hand, we recognize that each of us has the potential to learn new skills and produce new ways of being. Effort is not the end. People with a growth mindset embrace challenges, push through setbacks, believe effort is paramount, use feedback and criticism to get better, and are inspired by others' success. Imagine what is possible, my friends, when we replace, I can't do it with, this may take some effort, or this is too hard, with, I'm still learning, I'll keep trying, or I'm not good at this, with, I can use a different strategy, or I'm too old to try new things, how about this will get easier with practice? Would you let a child struggling to tie her shoe or put on her own jacket throw out a line like, I can't do it, I'm going to quit? No, not likely because number one, you would be tying that person's shoe for the rest of their natural life. You would probably offer some words of encouragement, come up with a bunny ear trick for laces, I don't know, insist that she keeps trying. Why do we sell ourselves short when we know full well that in life, persistence creates possibility. Pairing a growth mindset with internal dialogue and internal discipline is critical. I call this integration a growth-focused mental framework, and it is foundational to a muscle-centric lifestyle. Now, if you are a keen listener, you know exactly what I did. I just did a bait, swap, and switch. I used medicine as a modality to get your attention, but what I really want out of you is for you to get the best version of yourself. And we are talking about a muscle-centric culture, and that is what we are doing. There was this really interesting study in physiological science that shows how impactful mindset can be. And just very briefly, this study involved 84 female room attendants from seven different hotels. It aimed to investigate whether the perception of exercise as part of their job affected their health. The informed group was told that work, quote, cleaning hotel rooms, met the Surgeon General's exercise recommendations, and they were given examples of how it counted as exercise. The control group was not given this information, although their actual behavior didn't change. The, the informed group 
perceived themselves as getting more exercise after four weeks compared to the control group. The informed group experienced a decrease in weight, blood pressure, body fat, waist-to-hip ratio, which should be less than 0.5, you guys should measure it, and body mass index. The findings suggest that exercise can influence health partly through the placebo effect, where just the belief in the exercise led to outcomes. Now, I'm not saying that you just have to believe you are exercising. But on the flip side, if you believe that you are not enough and you are not doing enough and you have preoccupations of this, you are creating your own obstacles. There are a couple other components that I want to mention. And again, I can't go into all of them and in all the detail because we would be here for about eight hours. The next concept is the understanding and addressing your weaknesses to you are much more valuable than your strengths. When you understand your weaknesses and where you fall short, you can leverage them and you can plan for them so that you are not in a compromising position. If you get stressed and you go to cookies, you know every time you get stressed, you go to cookies. You plan for this weakness. If you know that every time you hang out with your best friend, you like to drink wine, either you have to find a new best friend or drink some sparkling water. But do not interface with the enemy and the enemy is something that takes you away from the person you wish to become. Do not interface with that enemy without a tactical action plan. Know your weaknesses. Friends, I've made it my life's mission to help you. And that is why I wrote this book, teaching the truth about muscle as an organ, navigating nutrition, mastering your mind, and triumphing through physical training. These are the vehicles that I hope you leverage to move yourself in the correct direction. This book is written in a way that is as accessible for everybody. This book is a blueprint for a long and healthy, vibrant life. It walks you through what to eat, how to work out, how to power up your mindset so you can finally start making the changes in your life that matter. If you have already purchased this book, thank you so much. From the bottom of my heart, together, we can change the paradigm of medicine. If you have yet to do so, you can order it wherever books are sold. I will also drop a link to the show notes in this podcast. You are the visionary for your health journey and for your life. And remember, in order to cultivate capacity, you must step into the arena. I'm gonna leave you with a few lines of my favorite quote. In this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And in the menace of the years, it finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, nor charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. My name is Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, and I thank you so much for your time and attention. 
The Dr. Gabrielle Lyon podcast and YouTube are for general information purposes only and do not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. And no patient-doctor relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast, YouTube, or materials linked from the podcast or YouTube is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professional for any such conditions. This is purely for entertainment and educational purposes only.